It's Behind the Headlines on WLIWFM. This is our weekly opportunity to sit down with journalists from all over the East End and do a bit of a deeper dive into the week's headlines. I'm Joe Shaw. I'm the executive editor of the Express News Group. Uh, we publish the Southampton Press, the East Hampton Press, the Sag Harbor Express, and the website 2070s.com, and also Express Magazine. My co-host is Bill Sutton. He's the managing editor of the Express News Group. Good morning, Bill. Good morning, Joe. Good morning, everybody. And a great panel this week. We have Michael Mackey, who's the local host for Morning Edition on WLIWFM. Hey, Michael. Good morning, folks. Good to have you here. Beth Young, who's the editor of the East End Beacon. Hey, Beth. Good morning. Good to have you. And uh, Denise Civiletti, who's the editor of Riverhead Local. Good morning, Denise. Good morning. So we'll start with you. Uh, We are starting into the uh, political season locally, and we're starting to see some things take shape. And one of the interesting things uh, that we actually talked about a little bit this week in an editorial, um, you had a, a decision made up in Riverhead that makes it a full a full house now. All five towns, the town supervisors, will not be seeking re-election. Uh, they're either term-limited out like Jay Schneiderman, or they've just decided not to seek re-election this year. And now Riverhead supervisor joins that group. Uh, that is correct. She um, she sent out a press release Friday night, uh, just before 7.30 p.m., and um, there's your there's your Friday night new uh, mega dump <laughs> news dump um, yes but um, she uh, made the decision not to seek re-election she did not provide a reason um, or give any indication of what else if anything she might be doing other than she said enjoying life a little because uh, you know she found some aspects of um, this ta- serving as town supervisor. Um, trying and sometimes unpleasant, like when she was, uh, she said she was hounded out of restaurants and um, treated unfairly by the media. Ah, so it's your um, fault. <laughs> you know, I, I, I don't, I don't believe we uh, treated her or anybody else unfairly. We ask, you know, like everybody here does, we ask questions that sometimes people in politics don't want to answer and. Some people in politics don't seem to understand that that's our job and it's their job to answer the questions whether they like them or not. So, um, you know, I don't consider that being treating treating anyone unfairly. Um, but I know that, you know, she has complained about us and to us about our coverage over the course of the last few years. So uh, be that as it may, she chose not to run again. Um, I, you know. I can't I can only speculate as to why that might be. But um, the um, it, the announcement came on the eve of um, the Republican committee, the River Republican committee screening committee um, interviewing candidates. And um, council member Tim Hubbard, uh, who served on the town board a couple of uh, terms uh, and has expressed an interest over the past year in running actually he he expressed an interest in running in in 2021, um, but um, was told to you know back down, um, and um, so he threw his hat in the ring for town supervisor, um, and um, and they screened him, and he was the only person they screened for town supervisor. Uh, they screened three candidates for um, 
the council member slots. One of them is um, the incumbent, incumbent, the um, um, planning board chairperson, Joanne Waskey. Um, another one is the school board president, at, um, Brian Connolly. And um, a third person is was actually a member of the screening committee herself, and her name is uh, Denise Merrifield. She was um, very briefly for about two weeks, I think, something like that. Uh, the deputy supervisor, I remember, had when Yvette Aguiar first took office and uh, she left that position. She resigned um, for reasons unstated. Um, After only two weeks, huh? Yes. Um, so <laughs> she's interested in running for council member. Um, I, and I should also point out that um, Frank Bayrod, who uh, has served one term as council member in Riverhead, also said he's not running again. So there are essentially three open seats now. I mean, well, there always are, uh, but three seats without incumbents in them um, wow. on the town board uh, because Hubbard's term is up. So he's running for supervisor as a non-incumbent, although a very well-known and I think kind of popular council member, um, but not an incumbent. And then we've got two non-incumbents seeking um, office on the uh, council member on the Republican team. The uh, Democrats in Riverhead are not saying anything. The chairperson of the Democratic Party didn't pick up the phone when I called Saturday to say, hey, when are you doing your screening or have you started? Um, and didn't she did not return my call. Um, but they posted on on Facebook Saturday morning uh, after news of the uh, vet's announcement, vet Aguiar's announcement broke that they are looking for candidates. So. We shall see. You know, everybody under the uh, sort of not so new anymore political calendar, their circulation of uh, petitions, designating petitions has to start. Uh, it's going to start at the end of this month, February 28th, because yeah, I was gonna say they, they moved up the primary. It's a little early, but it's not terribly early. And, and you know, it's going to be upon us, you know, fairly quickly. Michael, you know, I, I want to ask you over the years, you know, Public service is hard and and doing it at the local level in particular. I mean, we do our jobs and Denise does a spectacular job covering Riverhead. But, Michael, you know, it's a tough job and, and it's not for everybody. And I think it's getting harder and harder to find people uh, who are willing to to step up and serve in town governments. Yeah. How do we uh, uh, get the best and the brightest to serve as our elected officials. It is challenging. It seems to me, Yvette Aguiar just a couple of years ago was a, a rising up and coming a Republican politician. And I thought the the, uh, the political world was, uh, was at her feet and she would uh, advance. And I'm curious as to why she decided not to pursue it any further. But Denise pointed out some of the reasons. It's just not that nice a job. Yeah, and did he a lot of enemies too? I mean, I think Tim Hubbard really stood out in his um, backing of the community recently with over the you know the issue of whether to have a moratorium in Calverton, and um, I mean, it seems like he was he's been for a while um, really saying the board needs to pay more attention to its constituents. And uh, now, Tim is yep. a pretty he's an affable guy, yeah. you know. He's 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 an affable guy, and Yvette. Uh, you know, over the few years that she's been in office, has comported herself in ways sometimes that are less than affable. <laughs> um, you know, she has gotten into various arguments with constituents during meetings. Um, 
She's done things like when someone who ran for office at like on the Democratic ticket got up to the podium to speak, she would say things like, oh, and here comes, you know, so-and-so who uh, was a Democratic candidate for assessor last year. Yeah. Uh, you yeah. know, like things yeah. like that, that were just kind of like really odd. And I don't know. I mean, she, yeah. you know, she alienated people in a way that I don't think Tim Hubbard has, has done really. I, I, I don't know. Have you heard back from Laura Jen Smith, the, the former Democratic supervisor? No, I mean, she she uh, called her Saturday and, um, I, you know, she didn't get back to me about their screening process because I wanted to include that in the article. But I'm sure I'll be hearing from her soon. I don't know if you've spoken to her lately, but, Not lately. Um, you know, they they must be looking for candidates. So. So, Beth, we, we talked in an editorial this week about the fact that with all five town supervisors not seeking re-election this year, 2024 is really going to be, like it or not, a new era of sorts. I mean, you're going to have um, all new leadership. Now, granted, that leadership in many cases will come from the same sort of group of folks who are, who are providing that leadership in at town halls all over the East End right now. But is it I mean, is it fair to look at this as sort of a moment where where we may because of the big turnover, um, you know, this could be sort of a line of demarcation, right? Yeah, I mean, um, institutional knowledge is is huge in positions like this. Just just, you know, I mean, I think one of the things that worked against Yvette Aguiar is she wasn't really she had to really be brought up to speed on the local issues very quickly. And, um, you know, I mean, Tim Hubbard won't have that problem. Uh, Kathy Burke Gonzalez in East Hampton won't have that problem, I'm sure. Um, but um, we don't know who the candidates in Southfield are going to be. Um, um, Money's on Al Crux for in, supervisor. Right. Safe bet. Yeah. <laughs> yep. Yeah. I mean, you know. I think the scramble is going to be who's going to run for uh, legislature, really, to, right. fill his, to fill his seat. Right. Um, That'll be interesting. Yep. But he has not made an announcement yet. Um, yeah. And Bill, in East Hampton and Southampton towns, um, in East Hampton, uh, I believe Kathy Burke Gonzalez has announced that she uh, is planning to run for supervisor. She was the deputy supervisor and seemed to, seems to be next in line um to to step into that job in southampton we only have one declared candidate right so right. far right cindy mcnamara um has announced that she's going to run and she's she's a safe run because her term on the council is not up so she can run and if she loses she would she would keep her seat um on, on the board rick martell is is seeking re-election um and william parish um, who's a town trustee is is going to run for town council um, as well. John Bouvier, who's a Democrat on the board, is term limited up as well, and um, so he won't be seeking reelection. And so far, the Democrats have been have been mum on who they're going to run for supervisor and town board. And uh, we've been kind of hearing whispers. I don't know if they're true or not, but there's just not a lot of people stepping up to to interview you know in front of the democratic nominating committees for um for those positions which which is kind of odd because it's been a 
a democratically controlled board um, for a while now with with Jay Schneiderman and majority of board members. Um, and if they don't have a strong candidate, you could you could see that change, I, I imagine. So I, I just only want to board that has term limits out here, right? I'm sorry. Yeah, Riverhead has term limits. Riverhead does. OK. Yeah. But I know East Hampton doesn't. You were going to say, Denise. I was going to say, you know, having served a four year term as a councilwoman in Riverhead a long, long time ago, I can't actually the more I think about it, that I got elected when I was 29 years old. I don't know. I don't know what they were thinking. I don't know what I was thinking, but I served, <laughs> I served a four year term. And but, I, you know, I got to see things, you know, from the inside. And that gives me, I think, as a as a reporter, a different perspective. And I will say this. Being the supervisor of a town, especially like a town of the second class, which Riverhead and South Old are probably East Hampton, too. I don't know about Southampton, but um, it, it, it's got to be like the worst job in the world because you're one of five voting members of a town board and you have very little independent authority to do anything administratively or otherwise. But yet everybody considers you to, so you have very little authority and but you get all of the all the guff from everybody everybody's, everybody's pointing you, at you you know yeah. you're the town supervisor you know you're the high profile person you're the only full-time member of that board yes but you know you you're you're limit you're very limited and it's a really tough job because you get all of the grief that they really do you know, yeah. you know yeah if somebody's so, so, unhappy with, but you know, a pothole or something, they're calling the supervisor's office. You know, I mean, that's where they call, and uh, you know, so anybody that really chooses to, you know, take that step and run for supervisor or really any local government office, I gotta say, hats off to them because you know it can be a very thankless job, and it can be, I can tell you from personal experience, it can be extremely consuming, like. You know, the amount of, of things you have to learn about and the decisions you have to make and assuming you're you're interested in making thoughtful, well-informed decisions, which I think most people who go into this are, um, you know, it's a lot of work and there are a lot of, you know, meetings and events and your time is no longer your own. And everywhere you go in a little town like Riverhead, somebody's got something to say to you about something. And it's usually not, hey, great job. You know, yeah, exactly. And <laughs> so it's, it's hard. At least in Southampton, serving on the town council is considered a part-time gig. Mm -hmm. And it, I, I believe the pay sort of reflects that. I believe the pay is only in, what is it? I believe it's $70,000, something like that. Seventy. Um, Forty-nine. Which, yeah, yeah, it's, yeah it's, I mean, it's, I mean, it's, it's, not, it's yeah. not a ton of, uh, it's, as you said, very thankless. I mean, I, yeah. you know, we, I think it's important for us to be tough on, elected officials public business is public business and it, you know it needs to be conducted that way but i i think we can all acknowledge that um i look to the people that we that we cover on a regular basis and kind of wonder why anyone would want to do that because it, it can be seem really thankless so but one last so, but point. you have to i mean these are i i think for, for, for the most part these are people who want to yeah exactly serve serve the public and they have mm -hmm. that they they have that commitment, um, and, you know, and they have that in mind when when they run. Um, I think sometimes they find out that they are serving the public, and maybe sometimes they find out that that they're not, and it's not everything that that they would hope it would be. And then you've got others who are 
trying to climb the ladder to higher public office or whatever and get their time in. But but for, you know, for everyone that I've ever talked to on 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 the boards, you know, they 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 want to make their communities better. I'm sure that's why Denise ran. So, you know, um, you know, b- before and, and Denise, it looks like there's a spot open if you want to do it again. Yeah, right. <laughs> no, I no, I, I had no desire to run <laughs> for another term and I certainly have no desire to get involved again now. I really if elected, I will now. not serve. <laughs> and you know what? I mean, what we do it really is all it's public service also. I mean, yeah. you know. I'm, I'm going to write you in though, Denise. <laughs> so, so one last point, Michael, in our editorial, we talked about the fact that with five new supervisors, there are a lot of issues facing the East End right now. And most of them are regional in nature and, and, and they're not really confined by borders. And while the, the town supervisors all over the East End do work together, uh, they have an organization, the, the East End Supervisors and Mayors. But um, we talked in the editorial about there needs to be more of a regional approach. And maybe with the new leadership coming in, uh, they can sort of jumpstart that. But there's so many of these issues that from traffic to sewers to to affordable housing that that really overlap the borders. And, and I think that that all five towns would benefit from working together rather than working independently. A more effectively coordinated approach. Education, that's often brought forth, too, that the school districts could possibly work together in a more effective way. We have a sense of community in East End of the five-town Twin Forks community, and you'd like to see it in practice more effectively uh, manifested, but it's uh, very challenging. And as far as the individual uh, elected officials they're under higher scrutiny than ever before. So sure. it, it is a, it is a challenge with all the technology of uh, the current 21st century. You can run, but you can't hide. And it's uh, so it, it's very interesting. We want to get the best people we possibly can and see that they're appropriately rewarded for the, the work they do. And yet every single cent that's spent, including on them, themselves, is going to be under the microscope. There And what makes me chuckle sometimes is, we live in the Hamptons. We live on the, the the North Fork and the South Fork. Our challenges are real to us, but they're nothing compared to some of the other parts of most of the rest of the country, not yeah. to mention the world. So if we're having difficulty coping with, with governing ourselves here. What's it like in uh, East New York and uh, and uh, the, uh, the the ghettos in, in Memphis and so forth? And so it's. So we should be able to pull it together, you think? There's not yeah. enough. There's not enough beach permits. Oh my! <laughs> right. I mean, I, I'm all for the Nevada County uh, School District. That people ask me, "What do yeah. I do in the morning?" I tell them, "I read local and regional news in between NPR national and international news." Uh, I do, uh, for example, if you you may hear a story about Syrian jets or, or the Russian jets in Syria or in, in Ukraine, then I come on. I talk about the the jets and the helicopters are too loud in Wainscott. I do what's called first world news yeah, here right. and uh, not to belittle it but we because it's really important to us and quality of life is an issue everywhere on on the globe but it it, it does make me wonder if we can't resolve our relatively minor issues here what's the hope is there for the rest of the world having said that pretty soon we'll be in trade parade traffic where it takes me an hour to get from southampton mm-hmm. village to my home in shinnecock so yeah the problems uh, I'll be, are i'll real. be cussing up a storm then yeah 
no you know, question. Jody, your earlier point, I mean, there is the the East End Supervisors and, and Mayors Association. I think they meet fairly regularly, but I, I, I don't, I mean, it certainly is a, is a group that doesn't have any, any teeth as, 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 you know, as, as an organization. And I think it's probably more advisory and, and talking about common issues, but maybe there can be more, more work on, on that part to formulate um, plans moving forward and, and working together as, as a whole. I mean, all, all the towns are, are all the towns and villages are represented on that. I, I, I haven't been to one of those meetings in a very long time. And I think they, they, it used to be more, depending on, on who the supervisors are at, at times, it's been more active or, or, or less active. And maybe it's time for that to be a, you know, a, a, a to have a stronger voice anyway in, in the, in the future of the East End. You know, whether it's artificial or not, the line of demarcation is being drawn with the changeovers at uh, all the different town halls. And, and by the way, before we leave this point, Beth, the, the other thing that makes it difficult to be a local public servant is you have a very engaged local electorate. I, I, I mean, sorry, the constituency. Uh, you know, I think that part of it, and it's interesting to me because it's a cart and a horse thing, I think it's partly because the local media does such a great job of covering local issues. But I think we do that in part because there's such intense interest as well. And and people here are engaged in what's going on at the town halls in a way that I'm not sure is true in most communities. And it's it's become a lot more intense in the last couple of years, I think, because of all the um, number of people who have come out here since COVID. It's changed a lot. Um, of the way people who've lived here for a long time uh, go about their daily lives and they're seeing it firsthand and they're getting up and talking and marching. And, you know, it's it's uh, something I haven't seen in 20 years out here. And there are, of course, the new people moving in want to be feel uh, that they're a part of the community. Some of them are very removed and they're only here on on weekends or in the summer. But there are people who have moved in, invested their their lives and their time to be a part of this East End community. So yeah. we have the, it's 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 not necessarily an us versus them, although it feels oh. that way very often. By the way, we yeah. have another significant changeover. There'll be a new Suffolk County executive uh, at the mm -hmm. beginning of next year. Yeah, absolutely. So, so that's Denise, the political situation. Denise, you had a point. Oh no, I was just we were talking about things that make it you know difficult and how engaged people are and you know. The, Social media has a big, I mean, mm -hmm. you know, uh, people, uh, it used to be that only people that went down to town hall or wrote a letter or a letter to the editor got their voice across. But now everything the government does, everything we write about, there's an entire, you know, mob of people who are there to like, you know, complain sometimes in a very crude way about public officials and you know i mean you, you gotta think that sometimes you think like well why am i doing this <laughs> you know um it's i think it's made a quite unhealthy atmosphere all the way around but yeah, yeah that's, another, well, that's another story we are going to be entering that season very shortly it's sort of starting to shape up now yeah. uh and we're all going to be watching it very closely over the next few months and we'll see how it all unfolds this is Behind the Headlines on WLIWFM. I'm Joe Shaw. My co-host is Bill Sutton. We're with the Express News Group. 
Our panelists today are Michael Mackey from right here at WLIWFM, Beth Young of the East End Beacon, and Denise Civiletti from Riverhead Local. Um, so we have a bunch of uh, headlines that we want to talk about. And Beth, let's talk about uh, there's a new proposal in Mattituck um, for a hotel, right? This seems to be um, something that we're seeing more and more of uh, throughout the region, um, more proposals for hotels. What's the deal in Mattituck? Well, this hotel was originally proposed several years ago, um, but uh, every time a new plan comes up, um, people uh, people come out in force against it. It's um, uh, in Mattituck on Route 25, right before, right to the west of downtown Mattituck. There's the former Capital One, and before that, North Fork Bank headquarters. Um, it's a really big building. It's been sitting empty for years. It's owned by the um, Cardinelli family, who own the shopping center in the center of Mattituck, um, just up the street you know, maybe a quarter mile up the street from there. Um, it's been sitting empty. Um, they've been looking for potential uses for this building. The thing they keep coming back to is a hotel. They proposed, a, I think, a 200-plus room hotel. They've scaled it back at, at this point to 120 rooms. But the latest proposal also includes, like, an indoor water park, and mm. they're billing it as a resort. And uh, I, I'm... I'm a little amazed at how, um, first of all, there were over 100 people trying to get into a meeting that the Mattatech Laurel Civic Association had about it uh, we wow. can um, in the basement of a library. And it was just like crammed full of people. They were out in the hallway. They were upstairs. They couldn't get into the meeting. People were walking from like way down the street to get to the library because the library parking lot was full. And um, and this is like on a Monday night in January. Um and people were so angry. Um, Are they objecting to to the use or to the size or to both or? And also to the all both of those, and also yeah. just the nature of. I mean, everybody kept saying it's not for us, um, which is you know when you think about a hotel is never going to be for the people who live somewhere. But right. um, you know the you know there's you know a lot of people talked about how you know we're in the middle of an affordable housing crisis here everywhere on the east end of course um and uh and the traffic has been terrible and um this is a a particular spot where there is a bottleneck of traffic already um and Mattituck only has one traffic light um when i was a kid i think it didn't have any or maybe it had the only traffic light on the north fork so um Actually, yes, they put it in when I was a kid. So that was a big thing. Like this was the first traffic light ever. And this is just up the street from there. So they're talking about maybe needing another light. Um, so uh, I'm curious, uh, Beth, when you yeah. say people were saying it's not for us, do you yeah. did they mean it's not a pro it's it, this is not a project that will benefit us? Or do they mean it's just not appropriate for the community? Or is it both? Uh, both. Both. Yeah. Um, you know, and the, and no one from the Cardinelli family came to this meeting. They sent the guy who's developing the property for, for them. So that was all another bone of contention because they're members of the community and they didn't come to this meeting. Um, but I think um, I think you know, what the what the developers kept saying was it's an amenity. If you use the amenity, it benefits you. If you don't use it, it doesn't. You know, and when the affordable housing issue came up, he said, you know, we have four rooms on site. 
for employees, but they're going to have 70 employees. So, yeah, you know, that's not, really I, I'm, I'm not taking, I'm not taking a side, but that brings people into the community and the North Fork yeah. certainly over the last few years, um, become more of a, a, a day trip or tourist community with, with the, with the wineries and, and the pumpkin picking in the fall and, and, and all that stuff. And I'm, I, I would think that maybe if not in that spot that you're, you're going to see these kinds of proposals on the North Fork to, and maybe that would, it would kind of ease some of a, a, a small chunk of the traffic anyway, if, if people are, are on site and, you know, and able to, to get to the wineries and, and other attractions, breweries. Yeah. Going into this meeting, I really thought, you know, it seemed like a scaled back plan. I thought people would have some favorable response to it because there is a there is a real need for hotel rooms on the North Fork. Um, and, you know, people have been very upset about Airbnbs in residential neighborhoods. And they're part of the reason there's so many of them is because there are so few hotels. So oh, how, how tall, they're going to be coming there. Um, 120 rooms. How, how many stories are they? Just two stories. Oh, it's an 11 acre <laughs> site. And is the site well, that's zoned not... for for a hotel? Is that a, a use that's allowed on that site? I believe it's a special exception use in that zone, so they would have to get that from the ZBA. So that has. But been... I mean, that it's interesting to me because you know we talk about zoning all the time. I think uh, it's fair to say that the whole point of zoning is to not have to make a lot of these individual decisions. That you say we know we're going to need some of these things somewhere in the town and yeah. so you zone and say if if a hotel proposal comes forward this is one of the places that you want to allow it um it's a commercial zone yeah, yeah. Um, but this so, you know southfield is also in the middle of a comprehensive plan as is well we've finished the comprehensive plan but it had no zoning recommendations so now we're putting the teeth together in southfield um riverhead is also Facing a lot of people saying, hey, we're in the middle of all this planning. Why are we? Yeah. Did everybody who showed up against the hotel, was there any significant number of people who thought it was a good idea? N nobody who spoke. <laughs> okay. <laughs> you get a sense a lot of heckling. There was a lot of Did heckling. you get a sense that people oh, no. would support that being an affordable housing apartment complex? Absolutely. Like, yeah. That's and, interesting. And one one woman said that um, she is a veteran, uh, a dentist, a local dentist who's a veteran. Said, "Why is this not a VA clinic?" Which you know, the kind of flabbergasted. You know, everybody just said, "Whoa, whoa we didn't." You know, even the developer said nobody ever broached that subject with us before. But um, she said, "You know, people have been going to Northport, but they were going to do some renovations in Northport and send people to Queens, which is." Yeah. A big distance to travel if you need healthcare. I think you know Bill made the point, and and I think it's a, a a great one that there's a need for these kind of hotel rooms on the North Fork. And you said, you know, it's the need is showing itself with the Airbnbs and things like that. But there really is a, a fair argument to be made here that says, if we acknowledge that affordable housing is the bigger problem. This is going to add to that problem in the sense of now you're in in a good way you're creating jobs which is great, but you're really just 
creating a bigger pile of jobs that that are are almost impossible to fill locally that are from the outside in right right yeah, yeah. It, it, there's an, an economic thing there though too affordable housing doesn't bring in doesn't generate revenue whereas whereas a hotel would would generate revenue and 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 i would i would hazard a guess that if you change that hotel proposal to an affordable housing proposal all those people that said yeah, you should build affordable housing there. Might yeah. find some objections be, to that. There'd be another, another protest meeting. Coming out. Um, <laughs> you know, or or you'd have two hundred different people. I, South Hold is so interesting. South Hold is so interesting because it's really going through growing pains right over the over the last yeah. the last decade or, or 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 more as as it you know it, it as it shies away from the sleepy little North Fork community into into a community where more and more people are are coming out and 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 want to live there or want to visit for the day, want to go to the wineries and the breweries and 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 all that, and and it, you're just going to see it kind of explode, I I think, in, into the future. But um, there's, there's to, you know, again, there's there's money coming in soon for affordable <laughs> housing, and if you can find a parcel where where that's going to work. Um, to to Joe's point, um, you know, maybe you, you try to you try to switch tax here. And it's a conversation that's happening all over. We just had an express sessions event in East Hampton um, this week, and we we brought together a panel to talk about um, East Hampton's developing future with an eye towards, you know, how much do you preserve the history of East Hampton and how where are the conflicts of that? And, you know, the 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 standard line that we have is that every express session event eventually turns into an affordable housing conversation. And that is what happened with this one. And uh, it was striking to me that it, that, you know, there is a call for affordable housing. People are, are, are genuinely waking up to the idea that, that something needs to be done, but the challenges that come up are you have this proposal, you know, now in Mattituck for a hotel, it's not a proposal for affordable housing. So what do you do? You can't you can't necessarily force somebody to build affordable housing on the site like that. In East Hampton, everybody agreed um, that there's a need for more affordable housing, but the mayor was pretty blunt that we don't really have any place to put it in East Hampton Village. There's no vacant lots. There's, you know, it's it's very difficult to just sort of wave a wand and create affordable housing. Um, I, th I really think the chat when we were talking earlier, um, you know, when you talk about the challenges for the new leadership on the East End, that's going to be a big part of it is right. trying to figure out a way to balance this. There's no sewage treatment plan in East Town Village, is there? No. And that's no. part of the problem is that they have had difficulty. Um, the mayor, uh, Jerry Larson, talked about the fact that on a logistic level, they're just having difficulty. I mean, it's not even about funding at this point. And funding is obviously going to be a problem. I believe the figure he threw out was $35 million. But they can't figure out where to even put a sewage treatment plant. And they've gone so far as to propose in East Hampton Village. You, he, there's a proposal to try and do an underground treatment facility of sorts, which is, is not a technology that I don't believe has been used on that scale before and the DEC has not been uh, receptive to this idea, but they actually wanted to to put it under the long term lot in uh, East Hampton Village. They're 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 looking for a location, and and the mayor said they really weren't able to even find 
um, a, a, a spot in the village. They, they're actually looking just outside the village right now at land that's uh, actually in East Hampton town, but that raises a whole new set of, of issues. But just goes to show you these, these, these problems are not so simple to, to they're, solve. They're, they're not, but there's got to be some, and I'm not pointing a finger at East Hampton village, but there's got to be a creative solution for some of these villages, even if they're talking about changing um, you know, accessory apartment laws or, you know, codes and, and that way to allow, even if it's just a handful of more apart, uh, affordable places. I, I mean, um, Sag Harbor, while, while it's been fraught and, and fought against Sag Harbor, you know, took a, took a stand and said, we, we want to address affordable housing and they're trying to, to do that. They did some code changes and, you know, and, and all that. And I think you need to, you would like to see some of the other villages, and and I know it's it's difficult. I think of a, you know, a small residential village like Quag or Sagaponic or whatever. How do they, you know, how do they add affordable housing? But but there's got to be, um, it, we've got to all come together. I I think in this and find some different creative solutions. Yeah, uh, Sag Harbor is in many ways like a tiny city. It is, um, and it has sewage. Yeah, right. so they've been able to build up you yeah. know, a lot of other places. You, you wouldn't even want that because it's not. Um, it, yeah, well, it would just totally change things. Yeah, and and I think in East Hampton they point to Sag Harbor and say Sag Harbor did it right. They got the sewer treatment plant in place years ago. I believe they said in the seventies, um, and and that's all the difference in the world. It's one reason Sag Harbor has options. Um, and a lot of the other villages don't. So it's, it's, it's a part of the equation. I just want to remind people, this is Behind the Headlines on WLIWFM. I'm Joe Shaw. Uh, my co-host is Bill Sutton. We're with the Express News Group. Our panelists are Michael Mackey from WLIW, uh, Beth Young of the East End Beacon, and Denise Civiletti of Riverhead Local. And Denise, while we're talking about development, uh, there's also a proposal now. You guys schooled me a little bit about. I've never. I'm not familiar with Restaurant Depot, but uh, there's a proposal for a Restaurant Depot in Riverhead now. Tell us a little bit about that. You know, I, I wasn't familiar with it myself. I've never been to one, but I know people who go to the one that uh, is closest to the East End, which is in, I believe, Bohemia. Um, people from rest local restaurants that go there to shop. Um, it's a wholesale warehouse for um, restaurants, although it is open to the public, um, which I wasn't, I really wasn't aware of, but it really, but it is. Um, and um, it recently got a preliminary approval from the town planning board. And um, on Monday evening, um, had a hearing before the Riverhead Industrial Development Agency seeking um, tax abatements and, um, and sales tax exemptions and the Riverhead IDA board that evening uh, approved that application. So it's moving forward and they said they're gonna uh, try to open by the end of this year. Um, where, where are they putting that in? It's, oh, I'm sorry. It's uh, in the former Walmart site mm -hmm. on uh, Route 58, which uh, is on the east end of uh, Eastern part of Route 58, just, um, just east of Ostrander Avenue. Um, and well, that's been a, that's been a, uh, empty for a long time. It's been a Walmart relocated to a new site right near the end of the expressway um, in uh, 2014, 
And it's a very old building. Uh, it was built, I actually went back and looked through the town board minutes to figure out exactly when it was built. But uh, so it was built in uh, the 1960s after the Riverhead Town Board. This was kind of funny. The Riverhead Town Board agreed to change the zoning on in that area on um, uh, to from from residential and agricultural to business in 1963. After 400 residents signed a petition to the town board asking for you ready a shopping center on Route 58. <laughs> little, little did they know. The really? That was one of the first Careful ones, right? Wish for. Yeah, that and King. Cal that was a Caldor and a King Cullen when I was. Yeah, a kid. I mean, originally it was actually a W. T. Grant and Company. Uh, okay. Grants. Yeah, and yep. then the King uh, King Cullen went in there. Uh, they expanded the shopping center after it was first built, but um, I, I uh, you know, anyway. So it's it's a very old building, is the point, and it needs a lot of work. Um, it has been owned for quite some time by a company, like a real estate holding company based in Manhattan. And um, they were negotiating with a movie theater with Regal Cinemas. They even had signs up, coming soon, Regal Cinemas. They were very close to uh, an agreement with them, a lease agreement for that site. They were going to put a, a you know, multi-screen stadium seating, yada, yada. But but um, at the last moment, that seems to have, that seems like it fell apart for reasons unknown to us and um they um it's just sat there you know kind of like rotting i guess i don't know i'm sure it needs a lot of work inside and they're they were talking about the like a six million dollar investment uh not including stock to sell just to just to open up so mm -hmm. yeah it's um, an interesting store to put in on on the stand though because obviously the restaurant trade is a is a big one out yeah. here and you know, it sort of makes some sense. They specifically serve independent, you know, restaurants uh, who they were saying, you know, are increasingly squeezed by these big, you know, national chains like the TGI Fridays and Applebee's that we have here in Route 58. And um, this allows smaller businesses to get things at comparable prices to those big, big, uh, big purchasers because mm. they get their own, you know, they get better prices. So. And you said again, what what was the timetable on this? Or the they they didn't give a date certain because they still have to go through the building permits and stuff. But they they're they're planning to open by the end of this year. They said so. Well, it'll be nice to see that building used again. I mean, every it, time I yes. drive by it and just look at that empty, yeah. empty building, it's absolutely built. Absolutely. And and they've built up that area a little bit with the offices across the street now, and you know, so <laughs> yeah. it's not. Um. Yeah. So yeah, I mean, I, you know, we everybody I think wants to see that something happen at, at yeah. that shot. It's it's you know, it's I, definition I, I of a blighted building, really, yeah. when you look at it. I, I would have preferred the movie theater, but yeah. we'll take a restaurant <laughs> depot. <laughs> it would be difficult right now, I would think, to put in a new movie theater anywhere. I yeah. mean, just right. um, the challenges in that industry are really fascinating. Yeah, even the, the Matatech Cinema just last week said they're not going to do first run movies anymore. Yeah. Hmm. I was actually thinking whether that would have some impact on the theater's willingness to site in Riverhead because there were a number of theater companies that were interested in coming to Riverhead with like that kind of, you know, big splashy Island 16 kind of a place, you know, but well, it makes they sense all backed off. They all said eventually 
you know, we don't see the numbers here. You have a yeah. theater in Mattituck, you have one in Hampton Bays, and you got Island 16. We don't see the numbers for, you know, the critical mass needed to, so, you know, but maybe now with Mattituck. Um, and Hampton Bays is closed. Yeah, maybe maybe that Actually, will be. No, the Hampton Bays Theater is still open, I believe. Is it still open? I thought they closed. Yeah, I believe it's still open, but but it's cling. I think it's really hanging on. I think the yeah. there's a proposal to switch it to a to CBS, a CBS. Uh, I think it was. Uh, yeah, exactly. Yeah, but now that you know, I mean, now with streaming after COVID and everything, yeah. there's a sea change. I don't know. I mean, you know. Right, I think it's Once, difficult to make money with a movie theater anymore. But if you were going to do the kind of Island Sixteen thing, it, it makes sense. People would, you know, you're you, you're at the end of the you're at the end of the expressway, or you know. Um, you know, people come out, they movie, you've got a lot of restaurant options now in, in, in Riverhead. I mean, I, I think you could draw people in. I don't know if it if would it was be something so special, like an, maybe like an IMAX theater or something yeah. along those lines. Maybe, I don't know. I mean, um, I know that like my, my kids and their, you know, spouses and stuff, they, they go to theaters. They, you know, I think young people, I don't know, still go to movies more. Maybe I'm not sure. Um, but you know when you're when theaters when movie companies are releasing films to theaters and Netflix at about the same time, how does that work for the movie yeah. theaters? I don't I don't know. You're going for the experience. I mean, you can watch a baseball game on TV and be really happy, or you can. I'm looking at Michael, or or if you you know you go to the stadium and watch it, it's it's a whole different experience. You're not just watching the game. You're you're having you know the hot dog and your you know and and the beer and. You know, and, and it's it's a it's a it's an event um, rather than just the game. And I think it's probably the same thing with a, me, a movie. If you're if you go into the theater and you're getting the big bucket of popcorn and the big Coke and, you know, and, and your, uh, your chocolate covered peanuts or whatever. And got those nice lounge chairs. You now. got the chairs <laughs> sit back and, you know, and there's a there's an excitement to that. Right. No, there's nothing ask, like a live sporting event or live theater event. We'd like to right. sustain that. Yes. Yeah. When's the last? What's the last movie any of us have seen at a, <laughs> at a movie theater? I'm curious. Oh my! Raiders of the Lost Ark. Superman three. It's a ways back. So let me switch gears for a second. Um, and Bill, I want to talk about a story that that actually broke after our print deadline this week. Um, it came out. Uh, I believe it was on Thursday. Um, there was a, a ruling that came down uh, for a court case that's been uh, an important one in Southampton Town, and this is a fairly big deal. This involves uh, the Samland site. Yes, um, a, a, a site that um, the local town officials and and state assemblyman Fred Deal um, have been have been fighting against um, for a long time. Um, this state, is up in up in Noyak. In Noyak, the the state's highest court um, came down um, on um, on Thursday. It was right on on Thursday, um, just before we posted the story. Um, the in a decision that is still going to leave open some possibilities for Sandland, but maybe a major blow to to the uh, company's effort to continue sand mining operations um at the at the site it's 50 acres on uh, millstone road um and, and I, I haven't read the decision i'll be honest about that but i you know I, I did speak to the reporter that wrote the story and so so basically um the mr thiel had had a couple of years ago 
um, passed state legislation allowing towns, i.e. Southampton, to, um, to, to be able to weigh in on whether expanding sand mines would, would be allowed or not. This is a, the sand mine is a, a pre-existing use in the town and the town had come in and, and objected to um, Sandland's sand um, um, effort to, to expand the mine under this new field law. And the, the DEC rejected that and, and issued a permit anyway, allowing the, the, the mine um, to expand. Um, Which really upset local officials. It it upset everybody and was kind of, uh, you know, upset us, I think, on, you know, on on the editorial board. And we editorialized uh, against that and and all that. But anyway, so so this decision kind of rolls that back. It's asking for more clarification from from the town. But if this decision is upheld and Sandland will will probably continue to to fight this in court but but if it's upheld it, the sand the sand mine would would um have to close uh, and the thing about this issue is the the i'm sorry go ahead denise you no i was just gonna, i mean you know the court very clearly said that um this law that, that the dec acted contrary to the legislation right because the legislation said if local zoning laws and ordinances prohibit mining uses in an area you can't grant new mining uses. We've had this problem in Riverhead a couple of times, pretty infamous mines here. And in fact, the town of Riverhead is now in court with the DEC over this very, so I was reading this decision to sort out what it meant to the town of Riverhead. Um, But, you know- The the DEC likes sand mines. Oh, the DEC loves sand because people need concrete, you know, and and, uh, they're very pro sand mine. And- you know, it's been it's been an issue, a big issue here. Um, so the court, the court of appeals said that the DEC can process renewal applications if the zoning ordinance, local zoning ordinance, prohibits these things, and it can modify the the mining app, the mining permit, where the mine, the the land that would be mined falls within the scope of an undisputed prior non-conforming use. And that's the issue that they bounced it back to the trial court to determine is if where's the scope of an undisputed non-conforming pre-existing use here. This is uh, the two points with this ruling that I think are important. One is that it, that it's precedent, and yeah. that's what I think everybody's concerned about. Is it's not just sandland that right. we're talking about here. There's a lot of sand mine operations that this would affect. And the second thing is this really is a case where I feel like the court finally said. I mean, when when you read that that court decision, it's like, yeah, that's the point. The point was it that the earlier rulings didn't seem to make any sense that that they went against what the the laws actually say. Well, so. You know, and it comes down to 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 local local control. You know, whether it's Riverhead or whether it's Southampton Town, the 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 local municipalities should have a say as as to whether these. Um, pre-existing operations can can expand or not, or whether they can run in the in the first place. You know, the the DEC clear, very obviously, just ignored a very clear legislative pronouncement, and right. it took a lot of chutzpah, you know, um, to do to do that. And um, you know, it this has implications far-reaching. Yes, absolutely. And there really is nowhere else that for them to. There's no federal question that I can see here. That there's nowhere for them to appeal 
this decision. So they've got so this will be the last word from the you know. Well, they've got to make their case that it's an undisputed prior non-conforming use where they want to yeah. expand. If they can do that, then within within the four corners of this decision, they've you know they have the right to do that. Then that then the DEC can allow it. But that's you know that's a, a question of fact for a trial court. This has been a fight that that Assemblyman Thiel and Southampton town officials yeah. have just doggedly pursued for the last few years, and and uh, they weren't willing. Um, and and Assemblyman Thiel has certainly pointed some fingers at the DEC over this. Um, so this court ruling is a fairly significant step in that. You know, the, the really big issue with these mines, as far as I'm concerned, an even bigger issue than them taking the sand out is what they fill the hole with. Mm -hmm. Because to me, that's really the big issue with these mines, because, you know, they have to they, they do what's called a reclamation permit like that's what the dec issues and like so they take out the sand now they've got a big hole in the ground sometimes like we have one in riverhead that was like 100 acres of, of, of a hole you know mm -hmm. what are they putting what are they putting in that hole where's it coming from who's monitoring it okay yeah and, and sandland sandland was actually using that site for for uh composting operations which well and, and you know i mean we've had uh, we had this site where c and d was going in there it was not monitored according to a lot of critics the way it should have been. And that, you know, I mean, it affects groundwater. I mean, yep. you know, if things are getting put in that hole, it shouldn't like, you know, things that are contaminated or whatever, because you know what, there's a big incentive to fill that hole with things like that because it costs a lot of money to get rid of Absolutely. things like that appropriately. Absolutely. So if there's an unwatched big hole in the ground that's not monitored correctly, well, <laughs> you know, what, you know, it's a, it's potential a cool is great. It's a definitely a court ruling that's going to have repercussions yeah. for, for well, I'm, uh, I'm not going to jump a lot of places, jump up and down for joy yet, because, you know, the courts have come in a number of times and um, <laughs> with decisions against Sandland that that the DEC has then overturned or other courts have have overturned. So I don't think we're done yet. And uh, we're just going to have to kind of wait and see what happens with this. Sandland is is a I mean, it's a legitimate business with with, um, you know, um, that that has its rights too, whether we like them or or not. And, and the question is, you know, expansion or not. It's a pre-existing use. So I mean, so they have a legal right to to you know to 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 run a business you know in, in some sense so so you've got to you know give them that and and they've um they've shown a willingness to really fight this to the to the better end and you know and and all that so we, we'll wait and see we, what happens here we will keep an eye on what happens uh we are hit the end though is the thing yeah. unless unless the legislature changes this law yeah yeah absolutely Which, we're out of time guys we're out of time. We've got to stop talking. Okay. Oh. Maybe for next week, Denise. Uh, I want to thank our panelists, Michael Mackey from WLIWFM, Beth Young from East End Beacon, and uh, Denise Cipolletti from Riverhead Local. Thank you guys, as always. Thank you. And thank you, Bill Sutton, my co-host. Uh, I'm Joe Shaw. We will be back here next week with Behind the Headlines.